This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, midweek Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. Good morning. I should say good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. And let's pick up the conversation about that impending hike in interest rates with David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors and in Denver, Colorado, author of the book Understanding Central Banking. David, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Jerome Powell says uh, those interest rate hikes are still right on schedule, but uh, some of the market activity, is that a reflection of the fact that uh, the economic disruption caused by the war may cause the uh, feds to, or I should say the Fed, well, the, the feds that make up the Fed to uh, back off of uh, that that pace of maybe seven interest rates hikes over the next year? Well, uh, we certainly saw some important information from the Fed, Chairman. <clears throat> Never in my entire career of scrutinizing the Fed have I seen uh, such anticipation of this expected interest rate hike in mid-March, two weeks from now. And furthermore, never in my long career of Fed watching have I seen a Fed chairman announce what he's going to propose at the meeting. And we must remember the Fed chairman is the one who calls the shots. Uh, Chairman Powell said, I want to raise rates a quarter of a percentage point. That's the normal increase at the March meeting. I'm looking for a series of rate hikes at subsequent meetings, probably going out to the summer. And then the Fed will take a look around and see whether or not inflation is starting to cool off. If it doesn't, we could be looking for something even stronger in the second half of the year. So I am still betting on six or so total rate hikes. Uh, but for now, at least, they're they're very much in a normal routine. And the Fed chair also said that uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh leaves circumstances in a highly uncertain state. Now, this kind of carries the implication that the Fed is going to be nimble in responding to conditions as they exist at the time, but some critics say they've already been behind the eight ball, at least when it comes to assessing the impact of inflation, whether or not it's transitory. Powell even said uh, that was a bad call on our part. Uh, So do you trust them to uh, stay on top of evolving conditions, especially at the deal with geopolitical instability? I think the Fed may be along the lines of that excellent question. I think the Fed may actually be very uncertain about where it's going here, and it may be underestimating what it has to do. Uh, The Fed chairman said that he's committed to achieve price stability while sustaining the expansion. That's a delicate 
process. Uh, when Fed Volcker, uh, Fed Chairman Volcker tried it back 40 years ago when we had inflation then as high as it is now, remember he had to raise mortgage rates to 18% and the overnight federal funds rate, the official rate, to something like 21%. So uh, those conditions can get very difficult. I'm in no way in- implying that it will happen th- to that degree this time, but I'm just saying the Fed chairman has a difficult task. There's a lot of inflation out there, and uh, it may be harder to bring down than he than uh, Chairman Powell thinks. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver, Colorado, author of the book Understanding Central Banking. Coming up, an update on how the Dow theory sees the markets. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Now that the time-tested Dow theory has gone bearish, what's the play? Let's get the perspective of Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, when the Dow theory was on the precipice of going bearish just a couple of weeks ago, uh, that 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 uh, that threshold was uh, thirty four thousand twenty two, and today the Dow is climbing ever so slightly up towards that level again. Uh, is that the number that we should be watching, or has that changed? No, that's changed. Once the Dow Industrials took that level out, which it did on February twenty second. Then the major trend change shifted from bullish to bearish, and then you basically kind of clean the slate. In other words, those previous points then are not significant. What is significant is just how far the industrials and the Dow Jones transportation average fall and hopefully establish new low points. Uh, So that's kind of what we're waiting to see is, you know, during this decline, where are the next significant low points established that hopefully the market can hold up on? You know, right now, the the recent lows are the February 23rd lows in the industrials of around 33,131, and in the transports around 14,523. But I, I think that the, the macro thing to take away from this is that we have had a primary trend change, typical primary moves last anywhere from 8 to 12 months at a minimum. We have had time compression in the last few bear markets. As we all know, they've been pretty severe, but they've also been pretty short-lived. So we'll have to see. The Dow theory does not say, listen, this market's going to drop X percent and it's going to last X number of months. It just says, listen, you know, we're in a bear market right now, so kind of be careful in terms of how you approach your your investment portfolios at this point. What are some things that you can do to uh, uh, get yourself ready for the bear market or live through the bear market, even if it's another speed run through a bear market like we had back in 2020? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to do during a bear market, and it, you should be doing it during bull markets too, is, is A, stay engaged in the process. A lot of times people kind of just, you know, peel off and, and they kind of ignore their portfolios at that point because they're, they're disgusted or the, the, the portfolios are falling. But stay engaged. Two, continue to look for opportunities to upgrade your portfolio. And that's probably the biggest thing during a bear market. You know, you're going to see opportunities across the board in quality stocks that come down along with the major trend. 
And, you know, we only have so much money to have in the market. We have a finite amount of money. You want that in your best investment idea. So that is the biggest thing to do during bear markets is to use these opportunities to upgrade portfolios. Three, it wouldn't hurt to raise a little bit of cash. Now, how do you quantify that? Well, let's say you're somebody who typically runs a portfolio that's, you know, fully invested in stocks or near fully invested in stocks. If you peel that back to maybe 80 to 85 percent, uh, stocks and, and build a little bit of cash in here, you can use that cash then for buying as, as the market declines. And I think you'll see opportunities to do that here over the next few months. I know we're getting a pretty vigorous rally today. It feels to me that that's uh, a, a lot of short covering here. Uh, and I think the trend is still to the downside. So I think you're going to get opportunities to be picking up stocks here to upgrade your portfolio. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Oil prices are at a level not seen in more than a decade. Let's get an update from Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. If uh, Depending on uh, which index you look at, uh, it ain't good. Uh, the, the West Texas Intermediate uh, price of oil now at $109 a barrel, Brent crude at 111 and uh, it seems like the worst is yet to come. Well, you know, we and we uh, keep in mind that earlier this morning, WTI hit that $110 barrel mark. Now we're seeing just a little bit of let off on the accelerator. But uh, as you mentioned, still up from $90 a barrel as, as recently as early last week. So quite a tremendous impact. We're already seeing it at the pump. Chicago's average price up 22 cents a gallon in the last week. And prices just jumped yesterday well beyond the $4 a gallon mark in the suburbs. And that won't be the end of it either. Looking at the uh, historic price of uh, WTI uh, on a price per barrel basis in constant uh, 2022 dollars, um, we're kind of back to where we were in the spring of 2011, uh, and that was the trend for the first part of the last decade. Uh, where the, the the average price of oil was over a hundred dollars per barrel, and so even though we talk about this in rather apocalyptic terms, we've been here before. Yeah, we really have. And if you consider, you know, adjusting for inflation, that all-time high for a barrel of crude oil is now closer to $200 a barrel. Uh, so we're still quite a bit below that. But, I mean, we're still highlighting here the importance of Russia crude oil, which has now been de facto sanctioned, in essence, because of all the sanctions on the uh, the banking sector to get those transactions approved. And many ships don't uh, have the ability to carry insurance of doing business with Russia. So, essentially, Russian energy is already out the market, though we have not officially sanction Russia's energy. There was a huge spike in June of 2008 and again in February of uh, 2014. So the historic price of crude oil, is that also a history of uh, Russian military adventures in the last 20 years? Well, you know, there have been a lot of instances. You look at 2014 and, and Russia's invasion of Crimea, prices went up in 2014. Uh, You look at Libya and what happened in 2011 with Muammar Gaddafi. So a lot of these geopolitical tensions, the significant ones like the one we're dealing with with Russia and Ukraine, do have ripple effects that in many cases can last for half a year. But that's the good news is that in every one of those instances where oil prices had shot up temporarily because of geopolitical uh, tensions, 
they have come down. It just takes time. Well, Patrick, we're going to leave him smiling. So uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Patrick DeHaan, <laughs> Senior Petroleum Analyst with GasBuddy.com, based in Chicago. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, managing the risk of so-called black swan events that can send shockwaves through the financial markets. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The Russian military is accused of targeting civilian areas of Ukraine. A special report coming up from CBS News. In Personal Finance Wednesday, the war in Ukraine is an example of an unexpected event that can have a huge impact on markets and the economy. We'll talk about ways to be prepared. And Ford plans to produce 2 million electric vehicles annually by the year 2020. 26 WBBM business. The markets are higher. The Dow is up 649 points. The Nasdaq is up 222. The S&P 500 is up 86. We have 51 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies at 1231. CBS News special report. The U.N. General Assembly votes at an emergency special session to demand an immediate halt to Moscow's offensive against Ukraine and withdraw all Russian troops. The result... It sparked sustained applause. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield. We call on Russia to respect the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. To Kiev, where correspondent Charlie Daggett reports on this now one week since Russia invaded. In the east, the ferocious assault on Kharkiv, Ukraine's heavily populated second city continues. Residential neighborhoods destroyed. Families displaced. And experts say Americans can expect increasing pain at the pump as rising oil costs continue to push up prices at gas stations across the country. The spike is unlikely to ease anytime soon as Russia's war with Ukraine intensifies. CBS News special report on Matt Piper. It's 1232 on the noon business hour. Stocks are trading higher. We're joined by Shah Galani, chief investment strategist with MoneyMorning.com. Shah, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk about the impact of rising oil prices uh, on the financial markets, because uh, it is it's not fun as a driver to have to pay uh, higher prices at the gas station. But at the same time, it's driving uh, energy stocks today. Yes, uh, Rob, energy stocks are the only beneficiary of rising oil prices. Uh, the uh, impact of rising oil prices, rising gas prices, heating oil prices, uh, transportation costs in terms of airlines is going to weigh heavily on consumer confidence for sure. And that's going to probably increase inflationary expectations, which uh, has the, the worst impact of, of leading the Fed to believe uh, likely that they will see uh, those expectations increase and possibly have to raise rates higher and sooner than expected, which could stifle economic growth 
put us in the very unenviable position of being back in some kind of a stagflationary environment, which would be devastating to markets. What uh, what's kind of what's driving today's rally, especially after uh, two days of steep drops? To me, it's a dead cat bounce rally, meaning there's just not a lot of sellers out there. They have done a lot of selling. They sort of took a break in here, and any buying the did uh, buy the dip opportunists are having to pay up for anything they want. There's a lot of stocks on sale. They look cheap right now, and so investors trying to catch the bottom here are paying up, and so we're seeing a lot of stocks gap up. Uh, we may see some more increases, but really the narratives facing investors are increasingly negative, uh, war, inflation, rising rates, potential stagflation. Uh, so I see this as a dead cat bounce. It's, it's nice to see, but I don't know how sustainable uh, a, a further upside move can be. And uh, when it comes to assessing the impact of the uh, invasion of Ukraine on the commodities markets, because not only uh, is this just a devastating, heartbreaking thing to see, a a tragedy on a human scale, uh, the the level of worldwide disruption is also uh, pretty staggering, too, uh, because this not only um, this disrupts the the energy markets uh, because of the threat to infrastructure, but also the fact that uh, you have have tankers in the Black Sea that effectively can't get to their ports or leave. And, you know, how do uh, traders assess that level of risk? And then you, you add the sanctions on top of what was already a volatile situation. Well, traders are assessing that in terms of their uh, bidding up the price of soft commodities. Uh, Wheat is the number, uh, Russia is the largest exporter of wheat in the world. It's the second largest uh, exporter in terms of corn. Uh, It's up there in terms of soybeans. The Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, and some say the breadbasket of the world. So any uh, impediment to the flow of commodities out of Russia or through Ukraine is going to increase their price. And we're seeing that constantly um, in the markets. And I don't think there's any abatement up uh, up ahead um, unless there's a resolution to this conflict. And certainly uh, we'd like to see that. I I don't see that happening anytime soon. Historically, uh, when when Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, was there a similar uh, impact on not only the price of uh, oil, but the price of natural gas and commodities such as grain? Yeah, there was an immediate impact, a similar impact. Uh, but the difference here is this time uh, Russia has been taken off of the SWIFT system, uh, the system that the messaging system that facilitates uh, payments internationally. Uh, in 2014, uh, the American administration threatened Russia uh, with being removed, taken off of the SWIFT system, to which uh, President Putin uh, replied that would be considered an act of war. So there was no taking Russia off of the SWIFT system. This time, the weaponization of SWIFT means that oh, everything that could have happened in 2014 is going to happen now. We, we've already seen that. Now. So this time is different than 2014. Chagalani, Chief Investment Strategist, MoneyMorning.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, preparing for the unexpected events that can impact the markets. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
It's Personal Finance Wednesday. A black swan event is an unforeseen occurrence that can throw global or national markets into disarray. Let's learn more about being prepared for such a situation from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. A black swan event, I think the one that comes to mind for practically everyone is September 11th, 2001, which was a a shocking event for everybody, seemingly because it came out of nowhere. If something comes out of nowhere, how can one prepare for it? Well, that I think is the very, uh, you know, the very right question to ask, because a lot of people think that they can, uh, you know, jump in and out of different strategies that would protect themselves against a black swan. And I think that just betrays their lack of understanding of what a black swan is. You, you hit the nail on the head that they are unpredictable and they come out of nowhere. And so what you ought to do, I think a good analogy is buying fire insurance on your house. Most of the time you're going to end up losing on your fire insurance to the extent you pay premium and you never get a quote unquote payoff. In fact, you hope you'll never get a payoff from it. But nonetheless, in the event that something comes out of nowhere and has this huge dramatic impact on causing portfolio losses, what you want to do is to have something that will protect your portfolio. The problem is that now a lot of people use the term black swan very sloppily. It used to be that it was uh, referring very specifically to a particular statistical phenomenon. Now everyone sort of uses it for, you know, a surprising thing that's bad. And uh, so everything becomes a black swan. And when that's the case, nothing really is a black swan anymore. We uh, One of the, the discussions we've had, especially since the start of the invasion of Ukraine, is the possibility of cyber cyber attacks on American infrastructure. For example, a, uh, a, a cyber attack shutting down several major pipelines or possibly uh, uh, wreaking havoc with air traffic control software. Uh, because we know about that, because that possibility exists and we've discussed it, um, is it a black swan event if it actually happened? Well, you know, <laughs> It gets very Here's where we get philosophical, Mark. This is this is yeah. like late night college dorm discussion here. Well, you know, I mean, that's very fair. I mean, it turns out that uh, sometimes black swans really are of, uh, you know, a matter of perception. I mean, one of the sayings that uh, statisticians will sometimes use is that, uh, you know, the, the the hog that's going to uh, to be butchered. The the obviously the owner of the farm knows he's going to be butchered, whereas it's a black swan for the pig, you know. So it really depends on your perspective. And so, uh, you know, again, I think the the question is, how do you protect yourselves against it? It may be that we are like the hog in that particular analogy; it'll come out of nowhere, or it may be like, as you say. We know about the possibility of cyber attacks, and so therefore you might say, well, that's not quite the same as a cyber attack. From a statistical point of view, a a black swan is something that is more likely to happen, even if you can't predict it, than you would expect that, uh, you know, everyone knows about a bell curve. And so everything starts getting less and less likely as you get further and further from the middle of that bell curve. Basically, a black swan says that the ends of that, either either the positive or the negative end of that bell curve are taller or wider than you'd expect from just randomness alone. And that's really the key is you need to plan for these things more than you'd otherwise expect. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, how you can prepare for the unexpected... 
loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Ford is substantially increasing its targets for the production of electric vehicles. Let's get the latest now from John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and the host of Autoline.tv based in Detroit. John, thanks for joining us today. Let's start off by talking about uh, this restructuring uh, taking place in Dearborn, Michigan, where the EV division of Ford is going to have an entirely new name, an entirely new operating structure. What was the thinking behind that? Well, the thinking behind it is they got to try and catch up to Tesla when it comes to electric cars. And in fact, they don't just want to catch up, they want to pass it. And what Ford recognized is that its traditional structure for making internal combustion engine vehicles just was not going to get the job done when it comes to electrics. And so, as you pointed out there, Rob, they've divided essentially the company into two. One's called Ford Model E, that'll be all electric. And then there's Ford Blue that's going to be all the internal combustion vehicles. Now, is and, and so they're, they're keeping the Ford name in there. I know there was some discussion when they talked about uh, uh, presenting the electric division under a different name that maybe it was an attempt to kind of get away from Ford, uh, the old-fashioned kind of traditional automaker, and give it some sort of 21st century pizzazz. But uh, Ford, it, it sounds like the name Ford is going to be a part of the electric car division. Oh, yeah. Look, you know, Ford's got over 100 years of brand equity. They're not going to walk away from that just because these vehicles happen to be electric. And, you know, this this split that we're talking about, it's still all inside the company. It's not like they're spinning anything off into a separate company. So, you know, as far as the public is concerned, you're still going to see Ford dealers. You're still going to see Ford products. But the way that they get developed and sold is going to be very differently between electric and internal combustion. The plan is uh, to produce 2 million EVs per year and generate a 10% operating profit by 2026. It sounds like the market for electric vehicles has not only is, is just changing rapidly. It is. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, every year the electric cars just keep getting better and better. More and more people are buying them. And it's not just happening in the United States, it's happening in China and Europe. And so we're going to see a real tipping point. We haven't hit that quite yet, but probably in the 2026 time frame, you're going to see a huge part of the market switch over to electric. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv, based in Detroit, talking about the ambitious electric vehicle plans at Ford. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.